particularly when it comes to the roofed graves. Like, I would have liked to, if someone else had written about it, I would have liked to just read that and learn. I was just curious. And as I put more and more notes together, at first it, it was turning into what I thought would just be a nice article or maybe a research paper to publish with a historical society or something. And then at some point, as, as information piled up, I thought, well, this is a little bigger than that. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Chris Slavens, who has contributed to publications like The News Journal, The Laurel Star, and The Libertarian Republic, as well as the local history blog called PeninsulaRoots.com. His upcoming book is titled The Roofed Graves of Delmarva, and it documents a series of old, mysterious, and unusual grave sites. His book is due out in March 2020, and welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you for having me. Well, I just wanted to say, like, uh, you know, when I was doing the research for for this podcast to sit down and and chat with you, um, when I saw The Roofed Graves of Delmarva and I sort of started reading some of the kind of the teaser information that you have for this upcoming book... I mean, I was hooked immediately as a person who loves history of Delmarva and all those sorts of things. And as a lifelong resident, I have never heard of these roofed graves. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm absolutely learning something completely new. So could you tell us a little bit about what these are and how you came to know about them? Yeah, so you are not alone in uh, being a lifelong resident and saying, I have never heard of this, uh, (laughs) much less seen one. In fact, in researching this custom to date, I have only found one living person who has ever actually seen a roofed grave. Wow. Um, and he is in his 90s. And then I, I did talk with a couple of other fellows who were in their 90s who said, oh, yeah, I've heard about that, uh, but I never saw one. Um, so it, it is a very old custom that has not survived to the present as far as we know, but ev- even the memory of it has barely survived. Do you know, do you know the... The, how they started doing it, or do you know, or just what it was, and could you tell us both? I I have some educated guesses about uh, certain aspects of that. Uh-huh. Um, as far as why, well, first I'll I'll say what a roof Please. grave is. Let's yeah. just sure. describe <laughs> what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, and we're we're looking at, and we do have a few photographs. There's very few, maybe about half a dozen that uh-huh. have survived that I know of. Um, and basically, this is a roof built directly on the ground it's not elevated you can't walk under it it's just a triangular roof with wooden shingles um about maybe two and a half to three feet tall and about five to six feet long to cover an entire grave Mm -hmm. um and why did they do it do you think there have been different guesses about everyone who has ever mentioned these graves, and there, there's been very minor mentions in a couple of books on the Delaware side in Sussex County and then also in Wicomico County. Um, and there were ideas about, well, they, they didn't want the graves to get rained on, mm-hmm. or maybe it would help keep animals or people from walking onto a grave. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, they're they're could be looked at as a wooden alternative to uh, like box graves or other stone markers that would cover an entire grave. Um, In this case, I think probably one of the main reasons would be 
that they're using wood as a cheap substitute. Um, for stone. Yeah, we're we're looking in the 1840s to 1890s or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially on the earlier end of that time window, on the Delmarva Peninsula, you can't really get stone. Mm-hmm. Um, the old stone you just markers, get clay and more yeah. clay <laughs> and sand. <laughs> Um, the, the old stone markers, when you see a cemetery that has stone markers from the early 1800s or 1700s or even earlier, those are wealthy people, Mm -hmm. um, that were shipping in stone from Baltimore or, uh, Philadelphia or or somewhere else that has stone. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have the Pocomoke swamp and, and cypress forests and a booming timber industry. So they built grave markers out of what they had. Ah. That's that's that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, how did you learn about these? Like, what, where in your travels, or or where, how did this unusual thing come to your attention? Um, so, I'd mentioned there were a couple of brief references in books that have been published before. Okay, uh, one is the Churches of Delaware by Frank R. Zebley, uh, was published in 1947, and uh, there was one photograph of a roofed grave in that. And uh, about a paragraph, just that he mentioned uh, two churches that he had seen them at and uh, that it was kind of an interesting, unusual custom. And I I had read that and thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, And then I saw a reference in another book to the same one of the same sites um, in Gumboro, Bethel Church. And then uh, uh, there's another book, Folklore of Sussex County, Delaware, by, I believe, Dorothy Pepper. Uh, was published in 1976, mm. uh, and it mentioned roof graves at a cemetery over in Bayard between Roxanne and the Bethany Beach area. Um, and at, at that point, I, I had seen all of these at different times, and then I, I thought, there's really something here, and it seems like no one's really gone into great detail in figuring it out. Uh, you have di- people in different communities mentioning that they had some of these, but no one has really looked at how widespread are they? When did it start? That sort of thing. And I think if it, tell me if I'm wrong, it's the kind of thing you're. There aren't a lot of. Uh, I guess there there are there must be, but it's not something that's as common. Like independent historian, so you you're like an independent folklorist, local local historian, and so you're constantly writing about different things about the about Sussex County specifically mm-hmm. and the number of people who are. Who have the, the the gumption, I guess, right, to stick to Sussex County, Delaware, and and Northern Wicomico County, Maryland? There aren't a ton of them, and you you've been diving deep into that for for some time. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you get to writing about history on the internet, or or also in print? But you you've you've had the blog for a while, right? Yeah, um, I'm I'm not sure how that got started. I I guess just uh, particularly when it comes to the roofed graves. Like, I would have liked to, if someone else had written about it, I would have liked to just read that and mm-hmm. learn. I was just curious. So I was researching the subject just because I wanted to learn more. And as I put more and more notes together, um, at first it, it was turning into what I thought would just be a nice article or maybe a research paper mm-hmm. to publish with a historical society or something. Um, and then at some point, as, as information piled up, I thought, well, this is a little bigger than that. You know, let's just... Mm-hmm. put it all in into a book, which it's not a very long book, but uh, I mean, it's certainly more material than just an article. Oh, and also I think 
what's important, especially for a book like this, is you do have you do have a couple of the photos, and just making sure making sure that the photos that you have make it into print is is kind of critical because you want somebody else to have access to them. Mm-hmm. When when somebody figures out more about you know when when someone can add to your research or or, or build upon it or use it to go in a different direction from their own. You want them to have that resource that you went through the trouble of finding instead of just hoping that they found it on the internet. Like yeah. when you put something on, when you put something to paper, there's, it feels like there's a more, there's, there's more of a permanence to it and is more, it would be more easily found. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it was trouble is the right word to describe finding <laughs> some of those photos. Yeah. Um, one, several of them are held by the Delaware Public Archives, so I did have to get permission to publish them. Mm. Um, and they were taken by Frank R. Zebley when he was researching the history of churches in Delaware, mm-hmm. um, which in his book he published, uh, I don't want to say the exact number because I'm going to get it wrong, but it, it was a tiny percentage of the photos he actually took at different sites and then the balance of those are held by the archives. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his book, Churches of Delaware, there was one photo of a Ruth grave, but at that location, he had taken three or four, uh, which had never been published. And as far as I know, this is the first time that they have been published other, other than they are available online. Um, that That's super cool. The, the, the novelty of that, you know, is, is it's nice to be able to say something that you're pretty sure no one has really said before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was thinking that you know there's that notion of like writing the book that you would like to read, right. you know, and it sounds like you exactly did that very thing, you know, and you know, like I said, for me, like being born and raised Delmarva my whole life, um, never having heard of this, it almost feels like you're, you sort of are charting like a, a whole new sort of uh, a whole new path of you know sort of historical pieces for for folks here, mm-hmm. and. What is uh you you want to talk a little bit about your background and how you got into just studying history was it was it something you were interested in in school or was it something that you picked up you know after you'd after you're done with school uh well I guess uh my father is a retired history teacher mm. um so history in general was always a big part of our lives um I think every family vacation suspiciously ended up at a civil war battlefield or, or a <laughs> fort and uh, there's many photos of me as a kid next to cannons in practically every state. Uh, so in general, we we were always interested in history. Um, and really, I think it was more through genealogy mm-hmm. that I got interested in local history. And, uh, you know, by by local meaning like really specifically local of specific neighborhoods or around Laurel, mm-hmm. um, where I live in particular. You're listening to So What's Your Story on WSDL 90.7 FM. This week, we're speaking with author Christopher Slavens about his new book, The Roofed Graves of Delmarva. Well, that's one of the difficult things, although uh, the Laurel Historical Society and even the Delmarva Historical Society are enthusiastic. They're not deep. You know, it's not like the NAB Center or like the Delaware Archives where you can find you know, this long, rich history, you know, you can spend years in the Delaware, you know, state archives. And, you know, I guess at the Laurel Historical Society, you could spend a pleasant afternoon. Mm -hmm. And so making the effort to kind of bring that depth must have been, you know, 
I mean, a little daunting. Like I'm, I'm going to be the final word, even if it's, it, it, I'm, I'm going to be the final word on Ruth's graves. Until, <laughs> you know. Well, I think in a lot of cases too, whether it's a historical society or the archives, there's a lot of information, uh, including some of the photos in this book that have just been in a file somewhere, and and they've been doing a great job preserving it for a long time. But it's it's just waiting for someone to come along and kind of connect the dots mm. on whatever the subject might be. And when it comes to specifically uh, the 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 roofed graves, is this how particular do you think it is to the peninsula? I mean, is this is this was this common in the eighteen? Was this like a fad? I know that um, I remember there was a in the late eighteen hundreds there was these scares about being buried alive. It was and people like, like have a little string to pull <laughs> yeah. a bell, and right? So. And and it was so there was this fad of being buried in uh, in case I'm not dead. So, so kind of along those lines, we do have uh, some documentation of superstitions from the 1800s about, um, appropriately enough, rain mm. falling into open graves or, or rain falling on the deceased at a funeral would be either bad luck or, or really bad luck that a relative would die within a period of time. Wow. Um, as far as whether this is part of a trend or... or whether it started here or was brought here, we do have two pretty good connections um, that I've explored in the book. One is uh, grave shelters throughout the South. Mm. Um, they tend to be a little different. Usually they're more uh, kind of like a pavilion-style shelter that you could actually walk underneath. Uh, but beyond that, they look very similar. Sh- um, shingled roofs over graves they're doing kind of the same thing of they they mark the grave at the same time as sheltering it protecting it um we uh throughout the south you also have uh, what are called comb graves and they are basically triangular grave markers that are stone slabs um so i do have a a photo of some of those in the book but it it looks just like the roof graves but it's made out of stone Hmm. um i do think there's a connection there Especially when you look at photos side by side, it's you. You know you're looking at like cousin customs right. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is what came first, what was brought where, um, because the the similar customs in the South they don't really like they don't really come uniformly through Virginia and Maryland. Um, it, it's more of the Deep South, and then. Over here on Delmarva, you have something very similar. So the question is, how did it get here? Um, now, the other connection, which may or may not, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or, it could be both. Mm-hmm. Um, there are quite a few records of Native Americans building similar grave markers or covers, mm-hmm. um, even back into the early 1700s. Um, so our local roof graves go back to at least probably the 1840s. Um, actually, the first one that has a headstone that's actually inscribed is 1852. I do think they were older than that, um, but it's just it's difficult to put that together when they haven't survived. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have in um, North Carolina, Virginia, Oklahoma, Florida, even up into Canada, uh, Native American tribes building basically triangular peaked roofs over graves. Um, so very similar, just not quite sure what the exact connection is. Do you think it has anything to do with um, not having as many churchyards? Like I'm from 
the northeast and there were it it was very rare to just for a family to have a plot on their family land up there you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> but here it's it's common like Three doors down from me, there's a gravestone just in, in some guy's backyard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's something that took a little getting used to once I moved here. But you, when you think about uh, native tribes and, and they're traveling and they're also not having like churchyards, churchyards, um, this seems like an alternative. Yeah. And specifically with the, uh, with the Native American connection, I think there's some evidence that particularly, say, during the mid-1700s, when they were kind of on the wane and were being pressured into uh, really limited areas, uh, that they were still uh, building cemeteries of a sort in kind of isolated areas. Um, And the area we're looking at tends to be very swampy even today. Mm. Back then, before there were ditches everywhere, it was was a vast—the Cypress Swamp was said to be like five times— wider than it wow. is now oh, wow. um so little sometimes you'll see in a, a field just kind of a little i mean locally we would call it a hill uh in other states they would probably not call it anything but it, it is <laughs> elevated um and those were really good sites for buildings or cemeteries back then mm. um and at least a couple of the roofed grave sites locally are on spots like that where you're kind of near the pocomoke swamp um probably 100, 200 years ago, the land around it wasn't so good um, for farming as it is now. And they were building these graveyards really just where they could and where they wouldn't be flooded. Mm. Well, with a topic like like these roof graves, which is seems like such a very interesting, but it's a very small slice of, of a part of a historical uh, you know, tapestry that we have here. Could you tell us a little bit about... Um, like tracking down your primary sources because i would imagine there wasn't a whole lot of information like you said you were trying like you saw one thing in a book and then you sort of tried to kind of piece these bits together but um i know you talked about the the archives but then you also mentioned that you started tracking down some people who might have spoke to it could you tell us a little bit about your 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 research process and and how you started kind of to pull these bits into this book yeah so at at one point um through social media, I had I had started sharing some photos and just letting people know I'm, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in learning more. Maybe your grandparents know more. You know, reach out to people. Let me know if you can find anything. Um, did not have a lot of luck with that. Um, one fellow did send me a couple of old newspaper articles um, about the Bethel site in Gumboro, which helped me just know that there was more information and keep digging. Um, I did through, uh, I think it was through maybe Ancestry.com or or some other online forum anyway, um, that I did connect with someone who had a photo of a roofed grave in the Daisy Family Cemetery in Bayard, Delaware, um, which had just been in somebody's photo album for decades. It goes back to the 1940s. Um, so that's published in the book. It's never been published before. Um and some some of these details are things that just people were kind of sitting on or maybe just didn't even really know what they had and and then when someone says well I'm, I'm researching this and this is what I'm oh yeah we do we've had a photo of that that's uh you know my great uncle's grave wow um, you're listening to so what's your story on WSDL 90.7 FM 
This week, we're speaking with author Christopher Slavens about his new book, The Roofed Graves of Delmarva. Visit SoWhatYourStoryPodcast.com for this and all of our shows. The way that these things kind of touch off um, a brief a brief story about a book that I'll probably die without writing is I'm very interested in pigeon racing. And I've been toying with this pigeon racing book um, that I haven't written. But I tell everybody this long, convoluted story about my obsession with pigeon racing. <laughs> and as a result, there's no one I know who doesn't come across a pigeon article. And send it to you. And send it to yeah. me. So I can I can see how you, you say out loud and people never thought about it before. Like no one most people have never thought about pigeons before. No one who knows me personally hears the word pigeon without thinking about <laughs> sending something to me. So I'm wondering like you know, you still could be like the roofed grave guy. Or like yeah, even I, like just the graveyard guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, that has happened, and people will send me photos and art, and and ninety nine percent of the time it's you know, thank you. Fifteen other people have sent me that, but thank you, and, <laughs> and keep looking, keep your eyes open. Yeah, I love that idea of people not knowing what they have, and mm -hmm. you being able to tell them, no, this random photo that you've never thought about is actually culturally significant. Um, you know, I, I just, I love that idea of people like you have this piece of information, these people have a thing and then you sort of kind of meet in the middle and there's this like this moment of discovery. Yes. And I, I think there's still even more information out there. Um, I would love for this book to come out and then I start getting emails or phone calls and in a couple years have to put out a revised edition. Yeah. I, I kind of think that may happen. Um, I did my best to get all of the information I could. I even took out an ad in the newspaper. If, if you know anything about this, please reach out to me. Um, and uh, particularly, it's kind of interesting, we're in Worcester County now. I did not find any evidence of roofed graves in Worcester County. But I, I just believe that, I mean, it's, it's the same cultural area. I think that they probably were here, and I just have not found it yet. Um, so I am hoping that more information will come out. As someone who's who's published two books, I can tell you for a fact, <laughs> the only way to get the information you're missing in your book is to publish it. <laughs> and then someone will call you and tell you everything that you forgot to put in. Well, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, and I guarantee you that I will never drive by a graveyard now without, and, without thinking about, I wonder if there's a roof grave in there or <laughs> had there been. So that that is something that will now forever be in my head as well. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the publishing process because you're publishing this through uh, through myself. It's self published, right? Okay. Um, how is how how was the process for yourself? Like, how did you how did you decide not to shop it around? And then, I mean, this is something like maybe the history press would do. So it's 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 possible, mm -hmm. but it it's, looks very history press. From yeah, the cover and all that it has a very history press vibe to it. And, I, I may have looked at certain books that were on my bookshelf and uh, kind of going <laughs> for a certain look. Um, well, it's gorgeous. Though. I love the cover. It's very pretty. And so, what was the process like? How did you decide? All right, you know what? I'm not going to bother, you know, fighting to find a publisher. I'm just going to knock this out myself. Not knock it out, obviously, but you know. really, I, I guess I felt that it was just such a limited subject. Um, even though there are publishers that focus on the, the limited geographic area, and and this is, I mean, this is about a very specific type of grave marker in seven known locations in two counties. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I really thought 
I mean, how many people are going to be interested in this anyway? Um, you know, maybe it'll just be better if I just learn to put this together myself and then whatever copies sell. And, and if people mainly, I just want to get the information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but with print on demand today, um, once I, I had not known anything about that before, <clears throat> but, uh, that just seemed like the easiest route to take. Well, can you can you talk a little bit about it? Because I still don't know anything about it. <laughs> uh, well, it was quite a learning curve. Um, really, learning the uh, to put together the book files for the interior of the book. Um, I did design the cover, which uh, every website recommends. No splurge, spend the money on a designer um, because people do judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with the way mine turned out, although I know it's it's not perfect, but it, it was. It was the best that I could do, and and I'm satisfied with how it looks. Well, oh, I, I mean, think you did a great job. I mean, but I, it yeah. is photos. Um, I'm using historic photos, so that I had great photos to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not the only thing that the only reason you know that this isn't a history press book is because it doesn't say history press on on the cover, <laughs> and there's no yeah. pun. I think that they're really, really. I'm sorry. I my experience with them is they love the pun titles and they drive me nuts. So, (laughs) you know, um, and, and so what's next? Do you, do you feel like you're going to do another one or do you, do you feel like you're going to wait and try to expand upon this one? What's next as far as writing? I I have a couple, well, I have a list of, uh, like a very loose casual list of ideas of, uh, this would be interesting Mm -hmm. Um, because it did occur to me once I had started working on this project. Well, if I'm going to self publish it, and learn all of that, then I'll be able to do it again in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am working on two things currently. Uh, and one is actually going to be a, a reprint of a text that's in the public domain um, of a, a very rare book from Delaware history with the Civil War. Mm. Um, and then kind of down the road, um, one of my great interests is the Nanticoke Indians, uh, particularly the the historical colonial Nanticoke Indians living along the Nanticoke River, mm-hmm. uh, 1600s, 1700s. So I have some ideas about um, maybe kind of a unique take on that, um, but I haven't even written the first word of that. So that, that's just <laughs> <Yeah>. an idea. <laughs> well, I know that are the Nanticoke Indians the ones that have the the lodge outside of Lewis? Uh, between Millsboro and, and Lewis-Rehoboth area. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's where the, the modern... Uh, Nanticoke Indian Association or Nanticoke Indian Tribe is based, um, although historically they're based more along the Nanticoke River, of course, and particularly towns like Vienna. Um, there, there was a reservation near there, as well as Laurel, where mm-hmm. I live. There was a, a Nanticoke Indian reservation there in the 1700s. And if anybody has any information about any of these graves, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can visit my blog, PeninsulaRoots.com. Uh, my email address is ChrisSlavens at gmail.com. Um, and then I'm on Facebook and other social media as well. Where, where, do, where do people get your book once it's out? I do not have a personal website of, other than my blog. The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, it may end up being available locally in a couple of stores, but that's still in the works. But um, it, it is online. That's super cool. Um, do you have any final questions for our guest? 
No, I just the one thing that I, well you were talking, I wanted to mention right quick. So, are you you're using your own imprint of Bald Cypress uh, Press? Yeah. Yep. And so I, I would imagine that feels sort of uh, based in in you know how we you know the the cypress trees and, and all that sort of was that sort of the inspiration for for your house? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of struggled just to find a name that uh, that wasn't already taken sure. and, and with uh, you know words like Delmarva and, and Chesapeake and Tidewater and everything's been used in 16 different ways with that um, and when I, I thought of Bald Cypress books and I looked it up on Google and absolutely nothing came up and I said okay that's it <laughs> <laughs> make, make easy work of it absolutely Excellent. All right. Well, now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about these roof graves with us. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.